0: Amen. Great singing. Take your Bible, if you would, and go over to Luke chapter number one today. And we're introducing our new sermon series Merry Christmas with a question mark at the end of it. And that's not on accident. And uh, oftentimes I struggle with grammar and punctuation, but I promise you this one was on purpose. And uh, we're gonna be presenting the question of can there be a Merry Christmas in our day and age? Now, Christmas has once again caught up to us and uh, you either are or are not a Christmas person. And I want you to consider that this morning. Who are you? Are you a Christmas person? Are you the guy and the or the lady that really enjoys the festivities? And uh, how many of you? have already put up your Christmas lights? Raise your hand. How many of you are not going to put up your Christmas lights? With me, you can raise your hand. I'm not, my kids have asked me for three years, dad, when are you gonna do it? And I just say next Christmas and I haven't done it yet. How many of you have just left up your Christmas lights since last year and just saved yourself the time? Praise the Lord. And uh, Christmas is awesome. It's got special music, special decorations. There are even specialty coffee drinks related all around the holiday of Christmas. Now, how many of you would be willing to admit uh, you are a sucker for the specialty coffee drinks on Christmas? How many of you men say, ha, it's for ladies? Raise your hand. There's a couple of you. Okay. And uh, I'm just saying an eggnog latte is hard to beat. I'm just a bit of a fan of it. And uh, I'll admit that even if I have to lose my man card. So uh, there's some Christmas nuts in the room. And then there's some people who wish it was Fourth of July so you could blow something up and uh, smoke some kind of meat uh, during the holiday. But it is Christmas. I personally enjoy the season for sure. And uh, I'm not, I'm not, in some respects, I'm big on some of the festivities. In other respects, maybe not so much. But for me, the time of year that I get most excited about as it relates to Christmas, I should say the reason I get most excited is because of the theology around Christmas. And uh, there is so much depth when you think about the incarnation of the creator God, Uh, he's an infant, in a, in, a, in a manger, but he is the infinite God in the arms of Mary. And how that works, uh, the theological term would be the hypostatic union and hypostasis. There's just so much depth. And don't worry, we're not going to use that word again all Christmas long. But the idea of the theology of Christmas, I yet to tire of its depth. And uh, Christmas, like I said, I think I said this uh, two weeks ago, Christmas is one of the few seasons of the year that I will break from my sermon series and dive in whole, uh, all the way, head, uh, toes, all the way into the, the Christmas Story and the theology of it, and I'm yet to exhaust that theology. Uh, It is a little bit of a difficult uh, thing every year. There's only so many passages that deal with Christmas, and yet every single year I approach those same passages. God just. He illuminates and shines light on different facets of the Christmas story, whether that's the narrative and how it approaches uh, us, or rather we approach it, or whether that's the theology and the the depth. And I think last year we spent a bunch of time in prophecy and examining in the Old Testament. I don't even think we read anything from the New Testament as far as the Christmas story goes. And uh, so it's that time of year that that God we remember the time where He stepped in, uh, donned human flesh to come and redeem mankind, and it's worthy of celebrating, right? Uh, even if that means you got to put up with some of the fluff and the snowman decorations and things like that, but uh, yesterday we were out in Tehachapi and we were knocking on a door, Michael and I, and as we finished the conversation, we walked away and the lady said, for the first time this whole year, someone said, Merry Christmas, and uh, I was a little bit awkward, I actually stopped and turned around and I said, you're right, it is Christmas season, I almost forgot. Uh, even though I've been preparing for this series, and that's the title of my message, but you're going to start hearing that more and more in the coming weeks. You're going to hear it at the cash register or, or hear it in the, the drive through And and uh, we all know what Christmas is, but do you know what the word "Mary" means? And it means to celebrate. It means to cheer up or to make happy. And my personal favorite definition, and I want you to lock this in your mind because we're going to walk with this for the rest of the month. My personal favorite definition of Mary is to be cheerfully encouraged, to be cheerfully encouraged by the circumstances. So I wonder, as I think about the term Merry Christmas, I wonder in a world like ours, if that's even remotely possible. Or are we just supposed to pretend during the close of every single year that we are cheerfully encouraged? I I just look around you and I don't mean to kind of uh, uh, besmirge America or 21st century culture. Every century from the time of Christ and before have had their own struggles and their own oppression and their own version of slavery. But if you look around at America, it is not an overwhelmingly happy place. And uh, we are surrounded by very much the opposite of cheerful encouragement. Uh, If there was a vocabulary, word for the last five years of our life, it would be the word crisis. Everything is a crisis, right? And there's a crisis in this country, in this region, and in the water, and in the health department. Everything is a crisis. Everything's going to kill us, and everyone is our enemy, right? You watch any version of news, left, right, center, everyone is your enemy. We live in a society of boiling rage and deep anxiety and fear, all kind of mixed up into one. And so then what happens is all of a sudden, as a nation and as a people, we flip our calendar and it becomes December and now we're all of a sudden supposed to be cheerfully encouraged, right? The whole news cycle and all of culture has been beating the drums of death and now it's December and it's like joy to the world and we just for a season pretend that everything is okay, right? Any honest look at the world gives you the the clear answer that man, we are genuinely just pretending. You look at humanity during the months of Christmas and they are chasing Numbness, because they cannot be made happy or cheerfully encouraged. They drink themselves numb. They spend themselves numb. They party themselves numb. They watch TV uh, ad nauseum to escape their reality and go to some farm town where the uh, the uh, the handsome stableman wears uh, plaid shirts and the evil businessman boyfriend. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who don't, good, you're a real man, okay? And uh, you're not watching those Hallmark movies, right? Good. All right. So society lives to escape its reality because they cannot be made cheerfully happy. So why can't we actually be married? And I'm going to give you a diagnosis. This is one of the many reasons, but I think this is a very core reason. We have fundamentally a problem with our identity. Everything around uh, us in this world is peddling the exact same narrative as it relates to our identity. It's being force-fed as a doctrine in all of our schools, in all of your workplaces, in every show you watch. It's this. Go be whoever you want to be. Go do whatever you want to do. Discover yourself yourself. Define yourself, rescue yourself, try on any identity, any passion, any pleasure, any pursuit. You just go out there into this ocean of endless possibilities and you just discover you and make yourself happy. Go do what you want. And without much thought, that kind of sounds a little liberating and a little bit enticing, right? Live your own truth, break free from any rule, lay aside any external influences, shirk any instructions, just go out there and be you. But listen to me, that creates a fundamental vacuum problem in ourselves. Because in pursuing this and in casting off authority and removing any external ultimate truth, we are leaving ourselves godless. We're ultimately deleting any version of absolute truth and any version of absolute authority. And not only does it leave us as a nation and as a people godless, but here's the problem. It leaves us fatherless and I don't mean to bring this up, you might've grown up in a home that didn't have dad, or maybe it was a stepdad, or I can relate to some of that, but I want you to think about a fatherless society where there is no authority over them who is instructing them in love. There's no authority over them teaching them how to change the oil or how to fix the tire or who's cheering for them in the stands as a father ought to his children. We have been a nation that is godless and now we are also a nation and a people who is fatherless. No one to define us or shape our identity. No one to redeem or to rescue us. No, there's no truth giver or instructor or teacher. And in an attempt to free ourselves, we are actually enslaving ourselves. And this self-centered fatherless world makes you, listen, here's where all the emptiness comes, makes you fully responsible for 100% of your life. You are 100% without God responsible for your happiness. Go get it. Good luck. Hopefully it works out. You are 100% responsible for your own value. And your value is based on how high you can climb. And if you can't climb very high, then you don't get to have any self-esteem. You're 100% responsible for your purpose, for your definition, for your identity, and for your happiness. And the only truth left standing in a world without God is the, the basis of that. Is that if there is no God, then you are you come from nothing. You belong to no one. You are going to nowhere, and you are loved by nothing bigger than yourself. So go, make yourself happy. And that freedom from God leaves us with a crushing responsibility to make life make sense for ourselves. You alone have the power and responsibility to define who you are to give yourself value. And it's not enough that you define yourself, but what's going to happen is culture says you should be this way and then next year you got to redefine yourself. And the following year you got to redefine yourself and reinvent yourself and try on this identity and chase this pleasure over and over and over again. But this pursuit condemns us into this ocean of just endless possibilities that you can do and be anything but all of the things you've tried on. Look at Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes starting Wednesday night. Don't miss it. We're going to look. Solomon steps out into this ocean of endless possibilities. He tries, hey, let me try uh, alcohol and let me try women and let me try gardening and let me try buildings and music and infrastructure. And he tries it all in this ocean of self and he finds himself just as empty as 21st century Americans do. And nothing fills this vast gaping void. We We live in a world that says, no, go do it. But nothing out there ever breathes life or joy or cheerful encouragement into a human being. And this is why we have a culture of rage and dissatisfaction because we've all been lied to, right? We cannot find in this whole world of possibilities anything that fills that void. And so society is angry at their own emptiness. They elect they elect uh, government officials because they're going to fix it and they don't fix it. They try this pleasure and they're upset because it didn't satisfy. They try this because temporarily it made them happy and now it doesn't. Now they're enslaved and addicted and broke because what was supposed to fulfill them now no longer fulfills them. And so you see the picture. You have this angry society that once a year comes crashing into this scheduled season of merriment. And all they can do is pretend. Pretend to be happy. Rack up credit card debt pretending to be happy. Stringing up lights pretending to be happy. Pasting on smiles pretending to be happy. But as was mentioned in Sunday school, two different times, I was looking at some studies this morning, the holiday season is a major spike in emotional depression and anxiety. Financial pressures go up by multiple societal or social pressures and anxiety, feelings of loneliness and dissatisfaction. Because when it's all said and done and the holiday is over, you can take the presents and they lose all their joy, you're still fatherless the parties will end and the alcohol wears off and you are still left without a defining, redeeming savior. The paid time off comes to a close and you're still, that day's going to come where you got to go clock back in and face the purposelessness of your life. Because clocking in and clocking out is not what you were made for. So Merry Christmas, can it be in a world like ours? Can cheerful encouragement even be a possibility in a day like this? Now, again, I alluded to this just a little bit ago. In a day like this is kind of an excuse for us to say, well, no one's ever had it this hard. Well, again, I would say 1st century Christianity and 21st century Christianity weren't all that different. I should say 21st century Christianity and 1st century biblical days weren't all that different. Sure, they had different oppressions and different forms of slavery, but merriment was just as unlikely in their day as it is in ours. So here's what we're going to do. For the next four weeks, we're going to chase down four different characters in the Christmas story that are going to show us a secret, one secret, each character, one secret for each four persons. This morning, we're starting with Mary, and they're going to teach us a secret to how in the world, in a world like ours, can we have a merry Christmas? We're going to start, like I said, with Mary. After prayer, we're going to walk through Mary's encounter with the angel and with God and his redefining of her life. And what you're going to see is that God, very much so, uh, we, we've talked about this in years past and developed this truth. We won't, we won't spend much time on it this morning. But we talk about how oftentimes we see the nativity and it's so pretty and it's so pristine and it's backlit and it's just awesome on someone's front yard. But the story of the nativity was a very difficult story in its actuality, in its reality. And you're going to find that Mary had, was faced with all kinds of decisions. God essentially breaks into her life arrests every plan and dream she has, her future, her identity in full are absolutely arrested and taken away from her. And you're given this young teenage girl who is faced with the greatest decisions of her life. Do I accept who God says I am or do I keep trying to define myself? Do I go my own way and run from this God or do I accept his decisions for me? And it's from, this answer, from the answer Mary gives that you and I are gonna find our first secret to how in the world Can we have a Merry Christmas? Let's pray, and then we'll read our text in a moment. Father, guide us today. Lord, it's it's no wonder as we look around at our our past why there was no real merriment. It's no wonder when we look around at society in the present Lord, why there's no merriment. But Father, we can look all the way back over 2,000 years and see a little girl in an obscure city whose life begins to be completely altered, arrested, by your will for her. And Lord, we're gonna see and learn some things from this teenage girl about how our life and our Christmas can genuinely be a merry Christmas. So God, would you guide us this morning? Father, work in each and individual lives. There's gonna be different circumstances and everybody's got a different burden this morning. There's different contexts from one side of the room to the other. Even within its own, a singular home, there's different contexts and struggles. And so Lord, make the word apply to the individual hearts and lives today. And Lord, would you do your work through the preaching of it? In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're gonna unpack the morning's text in Luke chapter number one, verse 26, where we'll start. And we're gonna unpack this in four distinct kind of blocks, okay? And if you're in the habit of taking notes, just think of it like that. it will be point one, two, three, and four. But really, it's just gonna be block one for the first couple of verses, block two, the first couple of verses. And I'm just gonna give you a title so as to understand where that text is leading us. And then we're gonna jump into the text and see it lead us there. So four blocks, four points. We're gonna start off with a look, number one, at the heart of God in his visitation of Mary. So it starts off this story, and you're probably super familiar with the passage. You've probably read it, uh, but go ahead and read it with me. Look at Luke 1, verse 26. It says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin, a spouse. So that means that she is engaged, to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, now listen what he says. We're gonna back, backtrack in a minute and just digest each and every one of these phrases. But he says, hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. So he fires off four successive statements trying to capture the attention of this obviously terrified young lady. But let me ask you a staging question before we go back and define what each of those phrases mean. Here's the staging question. What would you do if an angel showed up in your bedroom tonight and said, God has a message for you, what would your immediate thoughts be? Keep that in your mind. We'll we'll come back to it. This story starts really super zoomed in. It's the bedroom of a sleeping teenager. It's in her parents' house. But let's for a second, just zoom out and see a little bit bigger. This young lady lives in a city called Nazareth. This is a small out-of-the-way village. I visited it when I was in Israel. It's an obscure place. It's an unimportant place with seemingly unimportant people. It's this village way up on a hill that overlooks the Valley of Megiddo, where the Battle of Armageddon would come uh, will come. But it's this Jezreel Valley. It's this way out of the way, off by itself, no cities near it, up in the hill country. And this young lady lives in this city. Now, I would say every teenager, regardless of where you grew up, has probably made the statement that nothing good ever happens in my city. Right? I grew up in Napa. I thought nothing ever happens in Napa. You may have grown up in Bakersfield. Nothing ever happens in Bakersfield. Well, this young lady lived in a city that all of Israel said, nothing good ever happens in that place. So, I mean, it would be like the the armpit of Israel, as it were. It's the heel, the very unimportant place. And yet, listen to me, in their calmness, in their obscurity, in this teenage girl's room, God sends a messenger to step into her life. And I want to take some time and examine the encounter and examine the words that he says. We'll start in verse number 27. Uh, Look at it. He says there toward the end, it says, Hail. Now, the word hail means this, to be calmly happy. Now, good luck with that. Angel shows up in your room in the middle of the night. Calmly happy is probably not the first emotion that would be elicited in that moment. He says, Hail, thou art highly favored. The phrase highly favored means to be the object of a gracious visitation. And later on, we'll see it that the angel says, you have found favor with God. It's not, she's not being favored because she was awesome. She's being favored because God gave her favor. He And the same thing is true with the gospel. God doesn't look at us and say, you deserve favor. He says, no, you don't. And I'll give it to you anyway. So he says, hail, thou art highly favored. Notice what he says. The Lord is with thee. This is the creator God of heaven uh, being referenced. This angel Gabriel says, no, no, listen, Mary. God is both on your side and he is by your side. He cares about you. He knows you. You are the object of this visitation. I'm not here to see anybody else. I'm here to see you. Blessed art thou among women. Now, the word blessed in the Greek is uh, eulogia. It's where you and I would hear the English word eulogy. And in a eulogy, you speak well of someone. You give a eulogy at their death, you speak well of them. It means to be the object of, uh, of, uh, uh, of favor, to be the, the one that is spoken of in a favorable manner. And so this is where we get the same word, euangelion, which means good news or gospel. So here's what the angel says in a nutshell. He says, hey, Mary, listen, I know I just woke you up, but be calmly happy and full of joy. You are the object of God's merciful favor. The great sovereign of the universe looks at you and says, I speak well of you. I am by your side and on your side. I have some good news for you. Now with that first place in thought, let's revisit where we started this morning. All of us this morning, if you're saved or lost, we all need to entertain the options that Mary was just given. Option one, what we talked about in the beginning, the world says, liberate yourself. Here's Mary, the angel shows up, run. Now we know she doesn't, so it's a bit of a, 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 a it didn't happen this way. But think about Mary, the, op- the opportunity to run. No, 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 God's about to, he's about to break into your life and change everything about you. You, you, you won't get to define yourself. You have all these plans, Mary. You have Joseph and you, you've already probably thought out your wedding day and how long till you have kids. Run, define yourself. He's about to steamroll it. Every corner of your life. Go liberate yourself. You don't want to be defined by this God. You don't want to have His direction and definition for yourself. Run. That's option one. Or option two, let Him be who He says He is a loving God. Hail. Be calmly happy, Mary. You have favor. It's fallen upon you. God has a plan for you. Yes, He's interrupting your life, but He's for you and He's with you. And He has good news, eulogia, blessings on your life. So option one, When it comes to merriment, you're faced with the same choice Mary was. Run and define yourself or stop and let God do whatever he's about to do. Now, you and I know how scary that is because we know the story. We know what he's about to do. He is about to rewrite every shred of this young lady's script. But let's see number two. We saw number one, the heart of God in his visitation toward Mary is that he is for her. But the heart of Mary, number two, at the arrival of the angel is that she is terrified and guilty. So, Most of us, before we read the text, believe there is a God who has the power to show us favor. But again, we talked about this a second ago. If an angel showed up in your bedroom, your mind and my mind would go to the worst possible place, right? Just think about it. Look at verse number 29. Notice how it plays out with Mary. The angel has just spoken. And when I read verse number 29, to me, it seems like Mary didn't hear a word he said. Look at it, verse 29. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. She is troubled. It's like she she heard what he said, and all that he said was good news. God is on your side. He's for you. You're the object of his favor, and now she's terrified. So sure, she heard the word, but she didn't hear the heart of God in this. She She, she thinks, I must be in trouble. There must be some awful thing I did. Now, let me illustrate it this way. If you go into the office on Monday morning and your boss, unscheduled, says, hey, Bill, I need to see you in my office after lunch. Most of us are not like, Christmas bonus. Most of us are like, did he find out? <laughs> How did he know? Who told him, right? And you, you know what I'm talking about, and I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, the thing about it for you young people, you don't go to work, but if your mom says, Noah, Leo, Shrewdell, go to my bedroom. That's never been said in my house. That's not Merry Christmas. There's probably not a puppy in the bedroom. So listen, if our minds tend to go to the worst possible places with an unscheduled meeting with a supervisor, how much worse would it be if God showed up? If God sent an angel and says, hey, I I need need to speak with you. Keep reading verse number 29. Notice what it says. It says, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. What is the point of all this? What's the reason? Why is he here? What manner of salutation? I love the word cast. It means this, to debate who reckon thoroughly as to settle an account. It's the exact same thing we do. If he says, Bill, my office, you're like, okay, I did this. Did he find out? Did did, did I not? Maybe I got in trouble for something I didn't do. You're settling. You're doing the math. You're trying to figure out why why are they here? Why am I in trouble? What did I do? And here, Mary, at the visitation of the angel, even though he's already said, no, you're favored, she starts doing math. What did I do? Why is he here? What, what, What am I in trouble for? One, two, three, four, five. We start going through all this list. Now, I remember... In college, and some of you will relate to this. Brother Lombardi for sure is going to relate to this. Um, if you ever went to uh, Bible college, uh, at least uh, up where I went, they did this, this awful psychological warfare. During chapel, they would call out the people who needed to meet the dean of students in the office. And uh, the dean of students is the guy who kicks you out, okay? And uh, so they'd stand up and be like, all right, since we just sang a song and are about to hear the sermon, let me go ahead and list all the people who could possibly be kicked out today. Uh, meeting Brother Langford Oxendine in their office today is... Joe Schmo, John Adams, Casey Trudell. Now, this has happened to me one time. I've been called into Brother Oxenine's office one time. And you know what the meeting was about? I sat down. Now, did that ever happen to you, Brother Lombardi? Don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> so I go into the dean of students' office, and I sit down. You know what he says to me? He says, just wanted to check up on you. Sit said, meet me in the hallway. Literally, that's what I said. You shouldn't talk to an authority that way. I said, "Why?" she catch me in the hallway. The The whole chapel service long, I heard nothing. I was like, Lord, I've done this and I've done this and I'm so sorry. And I pray God, you'll forgive me. That's exactly what's happening with Mary. There is this God encounter and all she can do is be cast in her mind. She starts doing all the math. And listen, if God calls up and shows your name, there would be a totally legitimate reason for the feeling of guilt. And that totally legitimate reason is you and I are guilty. (laughs) And let me just tell you before we move on, the fact of the matter is no amount of casting or debating or trying to reconcile your account before God will ever do it. You might be here today and you think religion's on my side. Well, I did this and I did this and I added to my account and I did this and yeah, I did bad here, but I also did good here. And you can start debating and casting in your mind, trying to reconcile the entire account. And none of that will ever make you righteous before God. You cannot make yourself righteous before God. And that's where we get to number two. Point number one is God's heart toward Mary. He was for her. Point number, uh, that was point number one, I'm sorry. Point number two, Mary's heart toward this arrival of the angel and the message of God is that she is guilty. But notice number three, the angel is about to give her the good news of a, sa- of a savior. And this is where I'm talking about the idea you can't reconcile your account, but this baby can. This good news, this euangelion, this eulogia, uh, that there is a blessing coming to you, Mary, is the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament. This angel is going to answer the questions of Mary's fear. How can I settle my account? How can I be made right? How can I, how can I not be flattened in this moment by God's judgment? Look what the angel says in verse 30. And the angel said unto her, fear not, Mary. He says, Mary, we're not doing judgment right now. For thou hast found favor with God. This is unmerited favor given by God to Mary. And the fact of the matter is, listen to me, you say, well, this is to Mary. No, no, no. If you are living and breathing here today, if God has kept you alive, it is by the favor of, his, of God toward you that you and I might hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the fact of the matter is, we could have all been cast into hell and God could have walked away and justly have done so. And yet, because you're breathing and you're living, God is showing you favor. Notice what he says in verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. The angel says, Mary, you've been favored. There's good news. You're going to have a baby. Except you're a teenage girl who's never been with a man. You're engaged. Now you're going to be carrying a child that isn't your fiance's. You live in a culture that exists and deals, the economy of that culture is honor and shame. Honor and shame. We have some of those cultures still alive, mostly Middle Eastern cultures who deal with honor and shame. The Bible culture is exactly the same. It's honor and shame. You either bring honor on your family, or you bring shame on your family. So this may be not great news. So where's the good news? Keep reading. Look at verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name. Read it out loud, please. But here's the good news. Well, What does the name Jesus mean? We, we know it's a name, right? It's not just a title like Lord. We know that it's a New Testament rendering of an Old Testament name, Joshua. It's two Hebrew words that are smashed together, and it means Jehovah saves. So here's where Mary's casting and debating comes to a reconciliation. The angel says, Mary, listen, you're going to have a baby. And the identity of that baby, the personhood of that baby, is God visiting humanity to save his people from their sins. Your baby is going to be God giving himself as the atonement. God, Jehovah Jireh, God shall provide himself a lamb. God coming to and through you, Mary, to redeem yourself. So again, let me just real quick sidebar. Mary, did you know? She knew. The angel told her, his name is Jesus. He will save the people from their sins. Great song, theologically inept. She knew. Keep reading. And he shall be great, shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Mary, this child is going to be God in flesh and rule forever. No one will ever unseat his righteous rule. Verse 34, then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And uh, therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And in verse 37, he gives a direct answer to her question. How shall this be? For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Listen, all of this story points to the good news that you don't have to depend upon yourself. You don't have to redeem yourself or define yourself or swim in the ocean of endless possibilities and and make your identity matter and find your own purpose and settle your own truth. That baby came to do all of that for us. And he's on our side and he's by our side. And that's why in this ocean of endless nothingness, there is no true merriment. There is no cheerfully encouraged because it's found over here in this baby, in this good news, that you don't have to provide yourself a lamb. You don't have to sanctify yourself because you never could and you never will. We spent an entire uh, uh, Old Testament swimming in the, the endless law that could not save and the endless rivers of blood and streams of oil that could not take away sin. And yet Jesus stepped in and said, I'll define you and I'll redeem you. I will bring you back to myself. And that's the good news of humanity. And that's where real merriment comes from. And so this brings us to our conclusion of the story. The secret of a truly merry Christmas is number four. We're going to find the surrendered resolve of Mary. Listen, she may have only been a teenage girl, and she did have plans. And maybe teenage girls have more plans than all of us, right? You ask me, like, what's my plan for tomorrow? I'm like, I don't know. You ask a teenage girl, what's your plan? She's like, I'm going to get married in this church. I'm going to get married at this time. I'm going to wear this dress. I'm going to wear this perfume. I mean, they got all these plans lined out. You got an engaged teenage girl who's got all manner of plans. What her future's going to be looking like? Where they're going to live? Joseph's going to make so much money a year. We're going to be able to do this. We're going to be able to do that. And how long they're going to wait for a child? And then this holy visitation sweeps all of those plans away in one night. I can't relate to that. I really can't. I can't relate to a time where, man, I had everything lined out, and man, just in one fell swoop, it was gone. But how many of you remember 2021 when COVID hit, right? My wife and I were going to celebrate our 10th anniversary. We're going to go to Hawaii. We're going to have a great time. And then, boop, you ain't going nowhere. You're staying home. I cannot imagine what it was like to be this little girl who had all her life planned out, and this holy visitation comes and strips them all away takes away her identity, takes away who she thought she was supposed to be. Her testimony is even going to be altered through this holy visitation. You know, if you're married, you and I think, can I opt out, right? Are there any other candidates? (laughs) Is there somebody else you could go to? Like, can can I phone a friend? Can I talk to Joseph first? Could I run this by my mom and dad so they don't think that I've committed adultery? Is that okay? But the response of this little girl absolutely amazes me. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, behold. You know what behold means? Look closely. Hey, see me. I'm not hiding. I'm not refusing. Hey, behold. Notice her identity. The handmaid of the Lord. She says, look at me unobstructed. I'm not hiding. I'm not running. Here's you say I'm the handmaid. Then I'm the handmaid. The the word handmaid means it's the, the word doulos which means a female slave or servant. So this teenage girl who's got her whole life planned out in front of her with all of her dreams and all of her plans and a well-earned testimony. She did it right. Now she stands before God and God says, listen, here's who I want you to be. And here's what she says. Well, that's who I'll be. The handmaid of the Lord. Instantaneous surrender. And we're not often like that as people. Oftentimes when God calls us to something, we start negotiating terms, right? So like, well, Lord, I'll go if you make it clear and you make a way and you provide the finances and you, you, know, you give me a certain package, then I'll obey that command. We start reviewing the terms and weighing the outcomes and, and starting to do the math and, and even casting in our own mind. But in one breath, this little girl says, you can take it all. I will be your slave. Her marriage is now in jeopardy. Her testimony will absolutely be decimated. But in her losing of her plans, listen, 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 listen. She is now released from the responsibility of self. That's what the world is chasing. And Mary says, Lord, you're calling me to that? I will give up everything I planned, all of my definitions, all that I thought was for me. And it wasn't even that she was being selfish. It just wasn't God's plan. She had done the plans and then God says, no, 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 no. Leave all that and come over and I will be your redeemer and I will be your definer and I will be your good news and I will be your savior. And she is all of a sudden in this one decision released from self-definition, self-discovery, self-salvation. She now has a redeemer who is both with her and on her side. And he says, this is who you are. And she says, well, this is who I am. But keep reading in verse number 38. Be it unto me. So let it come to pass. Let it be born in my life. Be it unto me according to thy word. You write the terms. You fill out the, the, uh, you know, uh, line one, section B, subparagraph two. You write the terms. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Here's what Mary did. The opposite of what Eve did. Eve says, hey, I will define for myself. You see the the pictures here? Eve says, this is my choice. This is my definition. This is who I am. Mary says, okay, Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Whatever you choose, whatever you say, I surrender that to you. And the angel departs. So Christian, this is our first secret and our closing statements. Full surrender of self is what allows us to have a Merry Christmas. Some of us are not having a Merry Christmas because we have not surrendered our plans. It should have been this way. That person should have been here. This is how it should have panned out. I should have had that job by now. I should have had that money by now. This is what it should have been. And Mary's over here saying, all right, if you take it, it's yours. If you want this to be mine, then I'll I'll have it. If you want this blessing or this burden to be mine, I'll take it. You, you want my character to, to fall through the mud? That's okay. If that's what you want, I'll, I'll give it to you. And letting go and letting him define you and letting him decide and, let him, and letting him rewrite your plans is the secret to being set free from the necessity of self. And it is the, tree, the, the secret to a Merry Christmas. And you might be skeptical and think, well, can that really bring... Merriment or cheerful encouragement? Can you really have hope and happiness in that kind of surrender? Well, let's let Mary speak to that question. I want you to ask the question, and we're going to see the answer. Was she truly happy, losing everything to gain what God had for? Look down at verse forty-six. And Mary said, "My soul doth magnify the Lord." Now, how do you magnify? Don't answer out loud, but think. What does magnifying something do? Don't answer. Our first answer would be, it makes something bigger. You'd be wrong. Because when you magnify something, the size of that object does not change. It just looks bigger to you. So here's what Mary just said God, I can't make you any bigger. You're the God of the universe. But I certainly can see you as bigger. Because our human understanding cannot comprehend the vastness of our God. Mary doesn't say, I'm going to make you bigger, as though my belief makes you more God. She says, No, you are the God who holds the universe in the span of his hand. I can't make you any bigger but I can open my view of you. I can see you as bigger. I can magnify you. My soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit hath rejoiced in God, my savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid. For behold, from henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. This is so great. Mary gets it. Mary gets it because from Eve, when she stole autonomy from God, God promised Eve that someone would come through her womb, through, through the, the seed of woman, there would come a savior who would redeem all mankind back to himself. And Mary says, that's me. I get to do it. The first few generations of humanity all thought, we've gotten a man from the Lord. We've gotten a man from the Lord. And now Mary knows, I've gotten the man from the Lord. Every generation is going to call me blessed. I know my testimony is going to be trashed and they're going to, they're going to use that against my own son later on. But man, I I get the Messiah through my womb. Yes, she was happy for he that is mighty hath done to me great things and holy is his name and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imaginations of their heart. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath uh, sent away, uh, uh, empty sent away. He hath hope in his servant Israel. In remembrance of his mercy, he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Was she happy? Yeah. Was she Mary? Yeah. She had a joy and a cheerful encouragement because God gets to define her. And you and I, the only way we make it through this Christmas season, whether we've got the money for the presents or not, whether that person is present or not, whether God has brought a burden or a breaking on your family or not, the only way we make it through Christmas, Mary, is by abandoning self and letting God define us. The word is surrender. Let's pray.